Swimmers and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. On today's podcast, we're talking to Nikolai Morris, who is a champion master swimmer and a highly credentialed and well-respected strength and conditioning coach. Hi, Nikolai. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Where are you coming to us from today? I'm coming to you from Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, amazing. Now, I know you're an Aussie. What's taking you over to um, Auckland, New Zealand? (laughs) Um, So I work as a strength and conditioning coach. So I work with elite athletes, trying to get them to their physical uh, potential. And um, I got an amazing job initially with the with High Performance Sport New Zealand and I started initially with rowing and, and now I've moved into uh, women's hockey as the lead strength and conditioning coach um, preparing them for Tokyo Olympics. Oh, amazing. So you're still at um, High Performance New Zealand or yeah. have you moved to – yeah. So they're, are they in charge of all the Olympic sports in New Zealand? Yeah, so um, – Think of them as like a like the Australian Institute of Sport back in its heyday. Ah, so it's an yes. over um, overcoming umbrella. There are a few different locations, and we look after majority of the um, Olympic and a few other sports like netball. Uh, we have a link with as well, and yeah, we have like little uh, academies in different places and different sports run out of each one. Right. And so how many, how many, are you with the, the women's hockey? Yes. Yeah, so how many players do you have on that team that you're working with? I look after 25 awesome girls. Oh, wow. So that's their squad and then how many will they choose to actually go to Tokyo? So the Olympics is the only time where uh, they only take 16 into a tournament. Usually it's 18. Um, so yeah, only a small number. So there are some um, challenges coming up for a few girls trying to break into the team. But yeah, it'll be a very exciting time. Oh, absolutely! And are you planning on, or are you able to go over with them at all? Yep. At this stage, I, I'm on the list to go over to Tokyo, which is super exciting. What a great challenge. Oh, that is exciting. Oh, that's amazing. Is that the first time you will have um, had that chance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't even get to go to uh, go to watch the Sydney Olympics when it was in Australia, so this will be my very first one, which is super exciting. Oh, wow. And so how many how many sessions a week would you do with um, the hockey team? Uh, depending on the girls. So most will do or all will do either two or three gym sessions. Uh, they right. will do um, usually four to five straight hockey training sessions plus another one to two additional running sessions and then some of them will also have things uh, like Pilates or they'll have off-feet conditioning, swimming, etc. Um, as well as any physio appointments, medical, dietetics, athlete life, psychology, and all the other fun factors in there as well, which is a pretty big wow. load considering they're not full-time. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Just, do some of them still hold down jobs? Uh, about half of the girls in the team have jobs and the other half are mostly at university. Right, right. Wow. How did you get into being a strength and conditioning coach? What led you down that track? <laughs> so uh, when I was in high school, I 
was a swimmer and I wasn't super talented, but I wanted to find anything I could to maximize my potential. Um, I was going up against girls. I think there was four or five girls in my age group uh, in Brisbane who went on to be Olympic gold medalists. So I was up against some amazing competition and um, I wanted to try and be able to compete against them. So I got told by a girl in my class about a private strength and conditioning company who was working with people like Libby Trickett at the time. And um, yeah, I started doing gym with them and decided I really enjoyed the the movement-based side and the physical side of coaching. Um, And from there, when I finished school, I was leaning to some form of coaching and I decided I liked the strength and conditioning side a little more than I liked the swimming coaching side. And um, yeah, I went through my university degree whilst working as an S&C and um, yeah, got got a lot of uh, did a lot of work through schools and clubs and um, individuals and just moved through and yeah, eventually got to where I am now. Oh, that's a that's an amazing journey. What what was your initial degree that you did? Was that in sports science? Yeah, so it was initially called human movements, but now it's called exercise and sports science. Yeah. And then do you do another strength and conditioning sort of certification on top of that? Yep. So um, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, the most well-recognised and um, revered uh, qualifications in the world at this stage is the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association qualifications. So there's right. two ways you can do uh, the initial levels, um, and I'm a level two, which is essentially uh, some coursework, some uh, workshop, and then you have uh, a workbook and a which is mine was about 80 pages, so it's like a little thesis, and then you also right. have to write an article that is good enough to be published in their journal, um, as well as some hours, like practical hours. Um, and then you also, there's another side of it, which is um, called the pro structure, which uh, goes from associate to professional to elite to master. Um, and I'm an elite level now, which means you have to have had six years full time with elite athletes. Um, and right. basically, yeah, you, you work through that and then Many strength and conditioning coaches will also have a master's degree of some sort, some form as well. Uh, whether or not it's a requirement is uh, dependent on the workplace, I guess. Right. And are you going down that road to get a master's? I already have my master's, so I also. Oh, you already <laughs> have your master's. My yeah. apologies. No, not at all. So yeah. I have a graduate diploma in teaching as well as a master's right. in strength and conditioning on top. Right, understood. So too many years of uni, essentially. <laughs> Not too many years, good knowledge to, to help everyone. <laughs> Lots of debt. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, that's always hard, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's all good, it's all good. <laughs> so what, if as a strength and conditioning coach, what, what's the difference that you would see in, in coaching an elite athlete as opposed to a master's athlete? Mm, I think... It's complex because there are a lot of similarities. I, I don't think there's as many differences as people realize other than the fact that you need to take the aging population into account. So if you've got an 80-year-old master's swimmer, uh, there are considerations that need to be taken into account via their age. In terms of the athletic side of things, um, 
masters athletes are just as focused, just as competitive, have just as much drive to win as the elite athletes that I've coached. Uh, I don't think there's any differences on that side. I just think on the uh, aging side and also um, the other one, if you're working with full-time professional athletes versus a, a master's group, you will need to take into consideration the fact that master's athletes, there'll still be a large group of that population that will be working, that have kids, that have a lot of things outside of their sport that they do need to be aware of and need to work around. So they are definitely big considerations that I would look at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also as you age too, the recovery is as important. And I think sometimes we forget that as master's athletes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It's it's very easy to look and go, well, when I was a young swimmer, I used to train 11 times a week and that was in high school and <laughs> I could do that. I was training 12K a day and it was fine and I never got injured. But you forget that <laughs> yeah. if you're like me, your parents looked after your food. All you did was eat, sleep, train, and maybe do some study. Uh, your body actually recovers ridiculously fast at that stage, and it's very resilient. And we forget this as we get old. We try and um, match what we used to do when we were young rather than listening to our body and going, hang on, okay, my shoulder's acting up today. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't go do a six-kilometre distance session with heaps of pull in it. <laughs> Uh, we've got to actually be aware and and take a lot of consideration so tough and in my opinion most people who are in masters have come up with uh the attitude of that time and I'm including myself in this uh of you kind of had to toughen up like if something hurt just toughen up and keep going so a lot of people still have that mentality and that's very very dangerous because instead of going and getting something looked at by a physio or an osteo or whoever that you need to see, you just kind of keep going and don't get that niggle addressed and that niggle turns into an injury and that injury turns into a very long-term injury that can affect not just your your swimming or your athletic life but also your general day-to-day life. Um, And we forget that that's really important too. We need to actually be able to use our bodies for the whole amount of our life, not just when we're being athletes. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Absolutely. Because I think when, you, when you're younger and you're training, you, you're very much conditioned into thinking, yep, I can swim through anything. Um, I know my coach used to say, you're in the water unless you've got a fever. Oh, yeah. So it didn't matter, didn't matter what was happening, you were in the water training. <laughs> I used to be able, like, I was insane. Um, I used to cry because I thought I'd lose the feel of the water if I was out for more than a day. But I used to convince my mum, and I don't know how I did this because I don't think I'm that good at convincing people anymore. So I need to take a bit of a lesson of what my former self used to be able to do. But I'd convince my mum to, I'd be too sick for school and genuinely too sick, not trying to get a day off, but also that I had to still swim. So I'd still be training, which you look back and just I don't even know how that's possible, but you just you would keep going no matter what and you'd get two weeks off a year if that and you just keep ploughing through. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think the thinking has changed a lot, which is good. I think that's a good thing and I think COVID has also helped 
people reassess a little bit their training, even even elite athletes. I mean, I've just been listening to lots of dis- different podcasts over this time with elite swimmers talking about how they're now doing much more dry land type stuff and hence one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and less of the distance and the Ks in the water. Yeah, and it's something that I've had as a theory and, and those around Masters Swimming in Australia may have actually heard me speak about this before, but uh, especially as a sprinter now, uh, fair knowledge is I'm a I'm very much a 50 meter swimmer. Um, anything over that, and I will whinge and be very upset about doing it. Um, <laughs> I, I have no capacity to hold pace. Uh, it's very upsetting. But I 50 and 100 meters. There's you don't need to be doing miles on miles on miles. It doesn't actually help you. And I. As I said, I, I swam a lot of meters when I was growing up and I was never, never improving. I kept plateauing. I couldn't work out why. I was training so hard and I'd always be sick and I'd always have niggles. And then I retired for six years and came back into masters and I would train twice a week and I would never go over 2K. It would usually be more like one, one and a half K sessions. Um, right. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> within three months I was swimming the same if not faster times than when I was swimming 11 times a week 6k sessions um, which was my theory and if you look at exercise physiology and understand how the human body works and you look at sports like athletics which I think is a really good example of training the energy systems because the events are quite heavily in each energy system so if you look at the 100 Man, they'll, you're lucky for them to jog further than 400 metres ever. Like, they will not do it. Everything is done at max speed or it's done very, very slow drilling. Um, yeah. And then you go into the 400, which is probably closer to our 100, which is a lot more lactic acid. But, again, they don't do too much distance volume. And then you go into the further and when they do actually have to do a bit more distance if you are a distance swimmer. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's, yes. yeah, that's why you choose the sprints in my opinion. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but yeah, we, I went from training so much and I just looked at it from a different view and I looked at people like um, I remember, and I could be wrong, I could be thinking of the wrong people, but I'm 90% sure that Dana Torres and Natalie Coughlin came out um, many years ago talking about the fact that they only swam two or three times a week. Now, I'm sure they probably swam more than two kilometres, but they weren't going stupid distance and they were using a lot of dry land to supplement what they were doing in the water. And part of the reason they weren't doing so much in the water is, like most swimmers, they got some form of shoulder injury, which is such a shock, as we all know. Uh, But they ended up doing less swimming and more dry land. And these were Olympic medalists. It's not like they were hack swimmers. They they were coming out and doing just as well. And I, I'm still in shock that there's not many in the swimming community who have looked at these kind of case studies and gone, I'll give that a try. But I guess in the elite athlete realm, it is scary to try something new because if it doesn't do well, you get fired. But in the master's population, we have the ability to try and test some of these theories rather than just going with what's always been done because there are better ways um, for, and it won't work for every person, but in particular those swimming 
the sprint events, I would be looking to cut down your volume and start looking at strength. And even in the middle distance and distance events, I'd look at doing some form of strength training or dry land training in your program. Yeah. And and that's actually really good because that leads me into my next question, which <laughs> I was going to ask was, so as a master's athlete, how, how many times a week would you recommend that um, they should be doing strength and conditioning work? Um, two to three times. I, if you are crazy competitive and like me, a very pure sprinter, you could look at four, but two to three times is completely enough. Um, if you want to add in things like Pilates on top of that, that's another great way to, to get your whole body in check or yoga, but strength wise, two to three times will gain you enough strength and keep you a bit more resilient and have enough transfer for you in terms of performance. Yeah. And what kind of strength training? Because I think that's where a lot of Masters athletes are a little bit lost. Yeah, absolutely. About what kind of things they, you know, when they, when sometimes if people have never had any exposure to it, they think, oh, you know, that's lifting a huge dumbbell up above my head. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about, is it? No, no. Uh, firstly, overhead can be a challenge for, for anyone who's had a shoulder injury. So that's one we uh, slowly work to. But I think it's it's all about progressive overload. And if you've never, ever walked into the gym and done any weights, it's not going from nothing to everything. It's about slowly progressing. It may be doing body weight to start with or a small dumbbell and doing some typical movements. Um, I believe that swimmers should be decent movers in general rather than just specific I think that's important first before going down that specific swimming route um, because it helps us be resilient in our general life as well um, things like squats and deadlifts and I say this for all population because at the end of the day a squat is sitting to a chair and standing back up and we need to be able to do that yeah. forever a deadlift right. is yes. picking up something off the ground a shopping bag or a book or whatever but or a suitcase we need to be able to hold our body in a position where we can do that comfortably for our life not just for our performance in, in the pool um, but those those movements do have great carryover if you've ever seen a tumble turn side on versus a squat they're a very similar movement you don't have to be going uh, what in the strength and conditioning world is called arse to grass squat, which means squatting all the way to your butts nearly at the ground. It may only be squatting to a box. It may be holding a dumbbell. It may be holding a heavy barbell. It just depends on your level. Um, other things that need to be considered, especially as we age, is balance because unless you're just a backstroker, you're going to be getting up on the blocks. And um, <laughs> as you, you've you seen, Danny, uh, there was there's a great um, – swimmer in Australia named George Coronas who at 100 can still dive yes. off competitive blocks now that to me I think is absolutely unbelievable like you may need a little help getting up onto them but standing on the blocks and diving into the water like I've seen people who are 15 scared of that height or balance struggle with balance on that so being able to balance and stand on the blocks and get into a dive position without breaking is really important um, balance is also really important in terms of fall risks and things like that as we get to the um, older end of, of the spectrum. Uh, things like 
plyometrics or jumping. And I'm not saying we need to go down the route of like hurdle jumps or massive box jumps and, and things that people may see on social media. I'm talking about even just standing on the ground, jumping as high as you can and landing and absorbing the force. Not only does that help with our bone density, because one, the only problem with swimming as a, a master's athlete is the fact that we don't get any benefit from our bones. Um, and as women, that's a real concern. We need to make sure our bones are strong and we don't get them to that osteoporotic risk. So strength training can be really beneficial with that and help with any risk of a bone injury. Um, so keeping strong through that is really important, but also it allows us to work in the really important part, which uh, the dive is 30% of a 50-meter swim. So that's really important. And if we can produce power and our jumps are stronger, that's going to get us off the blocks. That's going to work really well. And as we age, our reaction time isn't as quick and our power does decrease. So keeping that is really important. Um, the turns you get a heap of power out of uh, or heap of benefit doing jump work as well. Um, and then your typical pulling strength is hugely important. Um, and those who are on the younger side and athletic side and who have been able to do this, I would look at doing chin-ups. Those who that is a bit too much and like couldn't even think of doing one, go to something like a seated row or a lap pull-down. Machines can be really beneficial, especially as we start strength training because less risk of injury. Um, however, as you spend more time in the gym, ideally you move towards a bit more free weight because it means that our bodies can move in more directions, which as swimmers we tend to put our shoulder through a fair amount. So being able to move them in all <laughs> planes is quite important. Um, yes. And then looking at specific things like if you're a breaststroker, which is not my event, but if you are one, working on the, the groin or the adductors. So um, there's a exercise called a Copenhagen, which is where you put your knee or your foot up on a bench and use the groin muscles to pull you up like in a side plank. That's a really beneficial exercise, but again, maybe a bit too challenging and we may need to go into like a side lunge position, which is a much easier version of that exercise. Um, and, and really, the, there's a, a million ways to skin a cat and programming should be relatively individualized for the person's injury history and, um, and needs and goals. However, there, if you look at key exercises that strength and conditioning coaches will generally program for about 99% of their clients will be uh, a pull, usually more pulls than pushes, so double the pulls to pushes, um, and you're usually looking at a horizontal pull, like a single arm row, and a vertical pull, which is like a chin up or a lap pull down, um, looking at horizontal and vertical pushes, so push up or bench press versus an overhead press. Um, a squat motion, a hinge, which is an RDL or a deadlift, uh, looking at something that is anti-rotation, so being able to rotate the forces that are pulling you in one direction, which is an exercise called a pal-off press is a really great example of that. Um, anti-flexion, also your planks, your, your normal typical um, 
front bridge or plank. Your side planks are really good as well, working your obliques. Um, and some form of unilateral, so a lunge, a single leg squat, a Bulgarian split squat, anything like that, and then adding on anything extra like any of your jumping, any of your medicine ball work, any of your explosive nature exercises. And if you've got most of that, like you don't need to be spending hours in the gym, a 30 to 45-minute session in the gym twice a week will get you some serious gains. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think I think all of us need to be, you know, heading heading down that track. And I, I I think the thing that is a bit of a roadblock for a lot of master swimmers is finding that person that you can work with. Um, I know. I mean, all our gyms have PTs, personal trainers, and whatnot. But whether they've got that knowledge to work with um, aging athletes, I think that's that's a harder thing to do. I think that's a bit of a stumbling block that a few people, or certainly people I've spoken to have mentioned. What would you recommend in looking for someone to work with as a master's athlete? What Should it be that level two, level one, level two type coaching qualification that you've got or is there anything else that they could look for when they're looking for someone to work with? Absolutely. Um, and depending on where you are in the world as well, uh, a personal trainer can be, really really knowledgeable and fantastic or they can be someone who has done a very short course has never really looked into it and could be actually damaging you and that's why it's really important to find the great a good fit and someone who actually understands what they're doing because at the end of the day they're looking after your most precious resource of your body so it's a really really important thing to factor in um personally if i was look i look at it from um what i would want uh, myself or my older family to have, um, I would look at in Australia, the terminology would be either an exercise physiologist who, if you're an exercise physiologist, you have had to do a degree. You have to have understood older populations. Um, they are usually highly qualified in one area, which could be rehabilitation, cardiac, or diabetes, so they have other strings to their bow that help with um, a lot of comorbidities that uh, many people do have. Um, and then performance-wise, strength and conditioning. And the qualification I have, which is the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association qualification, is one I would highly, highly recommend people to look for. Um, but just because you're not an exercise physiologist or strength and conditioning coach doesn't mean you can't you can't uh, they can't be a good trainer um but you do need to ask informed questions um ask if they had worked with older populations and if you do have any um comorbidities or diseases or anything unless personal trainers have upskilled their their initial certification doesn't uh, by their scope of practice doesn't technically allow them to work with anyone outside of general population. So if you have an injury, personal trainers technically um, in their scope of practice, unless they have upskilled, are not actually able to work with you. So they won't usually say that, but that's part of the yeah. scope. Yeah. Um, yeah. So knowing, yeah, asking good questions. So um, again, just because someone's done a university degree doesn't mean that 
they're better than other people, but usually means they have uh, more informed understanding and understand how to research and what the research says. Um, but again, it doesn't mean they necessarily are better than someone who hasn't. It's just dependent on that person. But I would, yeah, ask, I would ask if they are university qualified. And if they're not, I would ask how they've upskilled. And if there isn't anything, that's probably a red sign for me personally. Um, I would look at if they had, yeah, worked with any older populations or any swimmers before, because swimmers are different. I've worked with a lot of different sports and swimmers are very, very different to work with. Water-based athletes just are. Um, there's a lot of different ways of thinking and different injuries. Um, and again, if they haven't, it's not a problem, but if they're willing to learn is where I would question. If they're willing to learn and understand how swimming is and the different nature, because we work with water versus gravity, which changes things. It's just simple facts. So making sure that they're willing to learn and getting, getting people around you that have, um, have advice. So if you go to a physio that you really, truly respect and they are really good at what they do and they, um, ask their opinion, they may know someone, most people in allied health, uh, collaborate with different exercise, um, exercise science or exercise uh, health workers, whatever. Yes. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> brain snap. Um, but they, they will usually have people that they refer out to and they trust. So asking them or asking um, people in your master's community, if they go to anyone and they trust people, word of mouth yes. is helpful um, and it will allow you to find some good people that, have um yeah have good experience and um if anyone's in australia or new zealand and wants to contact me for probably i should say north island new zealand because i don't actually know many people in the south island um but i do have i have great strength and conditioning coaches i would refer to in most places in australia so if people do want to reach out i can give you some advice on um potentially different people to look into yeah, that that's great. I'll I'll put all your details on in the podcast details, and if people want to get in touch and you can steer them in the right direction, <laughs> I think that's that's very kind of you. Thank you. That's right. Because I, I think that's where a lot of masters athletes just get a little bit lost, and then they probably, you know, just in talking to people in general, um, you know, they'll go to the gym and they'll do a little bit of strength training, but they've got really no idea what they're doing, and I think it, you know. I think that's really good information to get out into the master swimming community so that they can understand what to do and, and it's so helpful yeah, with it, their strength because we lose muscle mass as we age so we need to keep that if we want to keep on swimming. I think that's why it's so important that we're looking at strength and conditioning. Absolutely and it, it's it's not even a um, master's or swimming issue. It's a, a whole society, world society on there's so much information coming out on all different things and unless it's your area, it's very overwhelming. Um, my sister rang me last year. She finally decided she wanted to go to the gym. And she's like, what do I look for? What questions do I ask? I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's normal. And a lot of the information that the media puts out is not 
super helpful. Um, things like encouraging uh, super high rep training um, and lightweight, that's not going to help your performance. You actually want to be lifting fast and strong for performance um, and putting out myths like doing the, the low slow, uh, the high reps um, lightweight is the thing that's going to make you lean. If you lift big weights, it's going to make you bulky, that kind of crap. And it is crap yeah. because it is completely a myth and it's the opposite way around. That That's usually the stuff that is going to build your muscle more than anything else. So, yeah, it's it's something I completely understand unless you're trained in it. It is a very overwhelming area and it, if you don't know where to start, it just makes it too much and then you end up not doing it in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of master swimmers end up. They search, they might have a bit of a go here, a bit of a go there, but it's very hard for them to get that continuity and the regularity that they need. And also as as ageing athletes um, who are, you know, interested in still competing at a high level, you, you know, you need to um, keep your metabolism moving as well. So the more muscle mass you have, the more your metabolism is going to be working, which yes. is also important. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely helps and when trying to get into your race suit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Still my scariest time at a race. <laughs> oh, always, always. <laughs> and putting the finger through the uh, the uh, race suit. Is oh, I've never actually altogether. put a, I've never put a finger through, but no, uh, <sighs> trying to get the the togs over the butt is is my biggest nightmare <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, we haven't even h- hardly talked about your master career. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you still racing over in New Zealand now? I know you've raced in Australia quite a lot, but um, are you, have you joined a Masters club over there? I have. Um, I've always been a bit of a, a rogue swimmer because of my my uh, thoughts. So I train myself, and also I've just I work such strange hours some days, and just or I'm not very consistent because our schedule can be quite fluid. So I've trained myself for a long time um, in swimming. So I continue to do also most master's swimming squads don't don't like it when I say I'm not training over 2K because I will get shoulder pain and then I'll get bursitis and I won't be able to swim. So I kind of do my own swimming, but I have joined a club. I actually have to change my club because it was uh, when I was living uh, in a place called Cambridge in New Zealand. So I've got to change up to Auckland, but we haven't had right. any master's competitions since well sorry I think there was one master swimming competition that I couldn't make because it was in the South Island but we haven't had a, a swimming competition since November I think 2019 so it's it's been a while and we don't have yes. we have one in May so I'm really keen to race again because I tried to go back and compete uh in what in Australian terms it probably would have been like a, a state short course kind of meet it was a national oh, yeah. um, national short course prep meet and yeah, it was it was a very late nighttime meet in a very small, very crowded pool, and it reminded me why I don't enjoy swimming against twelve and thirteen year olds again. <laughs> much prefer no. much prefer staying in the master community, but I did <laughs> I did enjoy being able to get into racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, we're the same here. We've we've had nothing really on the horizon. There's been one or two open water races. Um, 
the last sort of few weeks, but no pool competitions. And um, the club that I belong to, we usually do quite a large um, interclub once yep. a year, which is really well attended, but we had to cancel obviously because of COVID. So we, we've made our own little intra club, oh, which nice. we're going to run over. We have two sessions on a Sunday morning, so we're going to run it over that, but you're only going to race against one other person, yep. like race in pairs, 50 metres. Yep. So it'll be a bit of fun, but you yeah. know, no one's no one's done any racing for such a long time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I looked at the FINA top ten that was out for last year, and um, when you've got in the thirty to thirty four age group, when you've got four forty four making top ten and a two hundred fly, um, you yeah, know there yeah. hasn't been a huge <laughs> amount of competing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was some there were some times there that were yeah. A bit slower than normal, I think. Yeah, just a ten, which is no <laughs> no judgment on the people. Good on everyone who who made a top ten. But yeah, it's just a little bit um, disappointing when you can't race, <laughs> which yeah. which has been yeah. pretty much everyone in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, definitely. And what in your masters swimming? What's been your best competition experience? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Probably the one that stands out, and I think it's my best ex- – oh, I'll, I'll say two or three different ones. Apologies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go rogue. Um, my best – the best competition I think I've had, and this one stands out in my mind because I basically PB'd and everything and just had the swimming mate of my master's career, was uh, a short course um, meet at Chandler in Brisbane back in my first year of masters was 2013 and I just swam out of my skin. Um, so I absolutely loved every second about that. Unfortunately, I, um, turned around and broke my leg the next day. So that kind of put things in a backward step, but I was, uh, I just, it was one of those mates who just have that flow state. Um, everything was working for me. Uh, I just, it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, in terms of, learnings the best learnings I have got have been out of um my two international meets so 2014 FINA um world championships in Montreal I possibly had the worst swims of my career in my key events uh I was coming back from a broken leg and um I had had a jab in my shoulder three days before we flew international but uh so I wasn't I shouldn't really have expected to swim well but it was as you should expect a lot of international meets for anything to go wrong and everything did go wrong and I just wasn't mentally prepared for it and that really affected how I swam and that has taught me a lot both professionally and personally for my own swimming. Um, I've, I have been a lot better prepared from that. Um, that has made such a difference. But, yeah, anyone who went to Montreal will understand some of the challenges of how much walking we, we had to do, the uh, the lack of change rooms, the lack of facilities, the lack of being able to swim in the competition pool prior to racing. So, yeah, it was yeah. just a, a challenging one <laughs> but a lot of lessons learnt. So I, I hold that in strong, strong value. It was also a really fun meet outside my own swims. Um, and then I really, I absolutely loved 2014 Pampax. Um, I had lost a bit of joy 
in my swimming when I did so poorly. I couldn't see the learnings just yet. Um, and I took a fair bit of time between the two competitions off and came back and it was just such a fun swim meet. Everyone that like any of the national level competitions I've had in Australia have just been so, so much fun. Um, all the people have just been so great, so helpful. Um, and I've just really, really enjoyed competing in them. Yeah, that that's a you know I love those kind of stories. I really, really do. <laughs> I, I think um, I know we, we've talked about this before, but just the the masters community and having that that lovely sense of, I mean, you're one of the younger people I know that do masters, but having having you and your vibrancy on pool deck and then going right through to someone, like you mentioned, George Coronas, who actually, I don't know whether you know this, but he sadly passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. that is Did just, you know? No. Oh, that is so yeah. sad. Such a champion yeah. human. Yeah. What a lovely man. He was actually at my very first yeah. Masters meet when I, when I joined when I was 25 and I got to watch him break the 95 to 99 100-metre and 50-metre world records and it was just so beautiful, such a beautiful swimmer. Yeah, yeah, such a gentleman too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, but I, I love, I just, yeah, I know. I, I love the fact that all, you know, all of those, that experience and all of those life experiences can come together in the masters community and mix and enjoy each other's company on pool deck and racing and I think that's what makes masters swimming such a special community to be a part of absolutely like even um uh Danny and I both competed at the 2017 world masters games in Auckland back when I was still uh living in Australia and we had a great fun relay together and pulled in um a kiwi and it was just great fun. It's it's such it a was good fun. awesome experience to be able to meet different people around the world and just all find like every single person is there because they enjoy what they're doing and they love the sport. It's very different from that elite level. You're there because you're good or you're there because your parents wanted you to be there or whatever reason that um, people are involved in the sport. But I think Masters is very pure in that way where everyone is purely there because they absolutely love what they do. Yeah, I agree. And it shines through, doesn't it? Like it shines through in all the conversations that you have and the people that you meet. I mean, everyone in Master Swimming has got another life outside of that, busy, busy <laughs> life, whether oh, that's working or, or even as you age, you know, with your children and grandchildren or whatever that might be, but a busy life, but you're making time to go and do something that you're passionate about. And I think that's why it's um, such a su- successful um, thing in in the world in 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 sport master swimming is is so valued and treasured I think by all of us who do it I agree and I think um it'd be great to see some some more linking between the I know it's just starting but the the masters and the elite community just I know um uh I also do masters athletics I've started competing finally this year after saying I would for a couple um and the Masters Athletics, we actually compete with the junior and the little, sorry, open level competition, which is intimidating sometimes, but it's the the best part about it, um, or the, the main good part about it that I see is you see the young athletes not going, oh, why are they still competing? They're old and they're slow. 
which is what some of us may think they may think. But in reality, they're like, oh, my God, I wish I could still do things when I was their age. Oh, my gosh, look at them. That's so inspiring. They keep going. And it gives them, like, for me, when I started Masters, the biggest thing I got out of it was at 25, I was like, oh, never compete and, like, do the times I would when I was younger. And I put such a limit on myself because of my age. And I was 25, which is super depressing. Um, <laughs> thank you. Being part of Masters opened up my reality of age legit means nothing. And it's said, but it doesn't. It means nothing. We are as old as we feel and we're as old as we want to be. Um, and, I mean, some of us want to be older sometimes because that age group's a little nicer. But in reality... It, it doesn't mean we can't do certain things. We shouldn't put limits on ourselves because we hit a different age group. Um, and, yeah, it just opened up a new way of thinking and I loved being around people um, who were older because the wisdom I have received and the kindness and honesty and the understanding that I have seen from people throughout all the Masters communities I've been a part of is is amazing i i can't understate how much that has helped me as a person my own growth um and just hearing about different stories is so cool because you can learn so much about different things from um different communities and different age groups and yeah i think um it's something that i truly do value yeah i totally agree 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent it's yeah, it's exactly my my um, my journey as well. I feel that exactly. I wanted to. I always ask this, and <laughs> some people are probably getting a bit sick of it, and you probably know it's coming. But I was going to ask when you um when you training yourself, what is your favourite set that you do? Oh, this is hard because it does change change <laughs> and day-to-day and what mood I'm in um and as I've already stated I'm well and truly a sprinter so um that means I don't like pain very much (laughs) Um, (laughs) you can give us a sprint give us a sprint set that give us uh, a sprint set you enjoy um I do the two I do like the two main I guess sections of a set that I do like I love an old 25 hard 25 easy set I really do. It's it's nice. so basic, but I do. Mixed strokes, love it, love it. But I also like doing um, there's, there's two different sets that I've really enjoyed recently, which is either eight 100s as um, 25 max, 75 swim, 50 max, 50 swim, 75 max, 25, and then 100 max, and then back down, uh, then 100 again, and back down to 25. Um, And the first four free, the second four back. I quite enjoy that, even though it makes me sad sometimes why I'm doing it. uh, (laughs) With that looming 100 coming up. (laughs) 100 backstroke always hurts. Um, There's no. Except uh, if you cheat and pull on the lame ropes, then it hurts a little less, but don't do that. <laughs> um, and then I, I've also liked the 12 100s as um, mix. So I'll go 100 form, and for me, form will go fly back free. Um, so I'll do 100 fly, 100 IM, 100 kick fly, then 100 um, back, 100 IM, 
100 kickback free and then I'll usually do I am I am and kick so I quite like that one as well that one's pretty fun get to mix up the strokes I like uh doing a fair bit of fly back and and free in my my sessions um I limit my breaststroke to only when absolutely necessary because I'm dreadful (laughs) I should never do the stroke I've got to agree with you there I I actually never do it yeah I got told Um, when I was like 12 from my coach I should never do it (laughs) which sounds depressing but I totally agree (laughs) same I hate breaststroke. It's only <laughs> only allowed in a hundred IMs because it's only twenty five, and if you do a decent pull out, it's like ten meters of swimming. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and even then, you'll like this one. Um, so, Danny, you know Jenny Whiteley, who's probably one of the most well known uh, Australian master swimming uh, swimmers, has broken millions of world records as champion human. And uh, we did what's called a medley shootout that Warringah do in New South Wales where it's like a skins event. You start with eight swimmers, so the eight best I am swimmers, and they pull out of a hat and you swim whatever stroke they pull out of the hat and the two slowest get eliminated each time, which is a great fun, great fun um, in a carnival. But I'm... Last time I did the medley shootout, I would have been 30, and Jenny was, I think, 60 60 or 65. I can't remember. She was in the first one of her age group. Um, Forgive me, Jenny, if you listen to this. Um, And every time I do this shootout, I've done it twice, every time breaststroke comes out last, which is just unfair, (laughs) and uh, I have told them to stop doing it. (laughs) Even though it's completely random, it always happens to me. But, um, yeah, Jenny has... Basically, Jenny is technically double my age, so she still beat me by, I would say, nearly a body length, over 25 metres of breaststroke, which shows how good I am at the stroke. Should not be a stroke. Oh, to be fair, she, she's, a, she's a breaststroker. She Although is. She's good at all strokes, isn't she? She's, yeah, she She's is. actually amazing at every stroke, so I shouldn't say she's a breaststroker. <laughs> she's, she's pretty good, yeah. She's, she's unbelievable. Yeah, she is good. <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> but, yes, she's definitely – breaststroke is her form stroke and, she, yes, she smashed me over 25 metres. I thought over 25 maybe, maybe I could do something. Yes. No, no chance. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, Nikolai, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been a pleasure catching up with you and um, getting all your um, thoughts about strength and conditioning and your stories about Masters Swimming and – Best of luck with the um, women's New Zealand hockey team and I hope they do well at the Olympics. I hope they don't beat Australia, of course. No, no, no. But... They have to beat Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, well, we'll, we'll, no. we'll leave that to the, yeah, <laughs> the sporting gods. <laughs> no, thanks well, for thank having you. me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, same. Okay, take care and we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. See ya. Okay, bye. There you go, bye. Thank you for all your messages saying how much you like the podcast. It really means a lot. If I can ask for one thing in return, it is that you rate and review the show. It really helps other people find the podcast. So go along to Apple or Spotify or Google podcast platforms, wherever you're listening, leave a review and leave a a rating. Till next time, happy swimming. Bye for now.